I have a lot that I want to get through uh, this morning, but I'd like for you to meet me in the book of Leviticus in chapter 23. We'll be spending a majority of our time there today. I'm teaching right now through the book of 1 John in the college on Wednesdays and on Fridays, and it's just such a wonderful set of books. We're doing 2nd and 3rd John as well, but a lot of our study is in 1st John. It's the largest of those um, epistles that John wrote. We have to remember this specific Day of Atonement because it is the very reason that we stand here today. The very reason why we got in our cars and came to church. It's the reason why when we pray, we know that God hears us. There's so much to understand by a study of this. But oftentimes, because man is attracted to traditions and rituals, we get caught up in those things instead of what these things are supposed to represent. There are many people, even today, who think you are extra special Christian if you keep and do these types of feasts. And people are paying attention today, Yom Kippur. Uh, in about, I think, six minutes, they'll blow those final trumpets. It's an interesting time this year because this is a year of Jubilee. So instead of the trumpets being blown at the end of Rosh Hashanah, which would have been 11 a.m. for us last Sunday, they wait an entire week until the end of Yom Kippur today, 11 a.m. our time, 6 p.m. their time, to blow those trumpets. Jubilee meaning the sounding of horns. This is supposed to be prophetic in the picture of Christ's return. And as Israel has been afflicted through the tribulation period, he will come back and he will rule and reign for that thousand years. There are many people who look to what the Jewish people do today and say, there is found wisdom, there is found the heart of God, there we as Gentiles can understand God in a more perfect way. But we miss it if that's how we think we come into a better form of fellowship with God. We have Jesus Christ. And this is what the nation of Israel, although they are gathered together and they are politically powerful, this is what they miss. They are back in the land, but they are back in the land in unbelief. They do not accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And when the third temple is constructed... And when those sacrifices resume, Israel will find itself in the worst period of time for this entire world, a part of that being because they have rejected the only begotten Son of God. So do not be fooled into thinking you have something better to attain by mere traditions and ritualistic practices. If you have put your trust in the shed blood, the death, the burial, and resurrection of the only begotten Son of God, whose name is Jesus, then you have perfect relation with God. You are now His child. God is your heavenly Father. Jesus is your mediator, and the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you into all truth. You have everything that you need upon the moment of belief in Jesus. This is not taught today. People try to teach weird, mystical things. Well, you need some mystical Holy Spirit to have a better relationship with God. You know, the Holy Spirit, who is a person, he has a personal pronoun, he does not speak of himself. He points to Jesus Christ. In fact, I believe the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which was committed at the time by those Pharisees, 
could also be made a case for it is unbelief because the Holy Spirit points people to Jesus and he testifies of Jesus. And when a person, after hearing and received the light of the gospel, they've heard it, but they do not believe it, and they die in that state of unbelief, it is their unbelief which will condemn them. I have a great study for you planned today, but I have to say at the beginning, the focus is not on the traditions and rudiments and practices. The focus is on Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is, as the author of Hebrews says, over and over again, he is better than those things which were before. And the only reason why these practices on the Day of Atonement had to be done over and over again is because of the sinfulness of man. If you take a step back and you look at our world today, the sinfulness of man abounds. I know there was a movie that was out a couple of months ago called The Sound of Freedom or Sounds of Freedom, something like that, based on a true story. And it's really sad that it's based off a true story to see what's happening to young, innocent children. And sometimes because we are all not in that world so often, we think, how could this be? How could man be so desperately wicked because sin is desperately wicked? And there are people out there today that are trying to teach the next generation that the way that they experience victory is to give in to that sin nature. That's what being a man is all about. And it's dangerous. It's going to lead people astray. We need a covering for our sin. Our sin is what separates us from God. And God has provided that covering in His Son. And it's important to see these practices that were done and clearly given as instruction were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And it's why we don't have to observe Yom Kippur. We don't have to go and have somebody make a sacrifice for us in the temple. Jesus not only mediated the sacrifice, He was the sacrifice. You know how powerful that is? He was not merely our go-between, offering someone else's sacrifice. His body and His blood were presented, and God accepted it. So that anybody, those who looked forward to the cross or those who looked back, like you and I, we look back to that cross, the, 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 the payment has been accepted. Whether or not it has been imputed is what remains. To impute is to put to one's account. How does that happen? How does one attain the righteousness of God? How does one have that new birth, that second birth? Belief. Belief in what? That we can believe in many things, and we do believe in many things. Belief on Jesus Christ. Specifically, what about Him? That He died in our place and paid for all of our sin. That's too simple for people, though. See, that's too simple. I just did a, a video series on Bible Line addressing a very famous California preacher named Greg Laurie. I had never heard of him until somebody sent me an email. And Trent and I are in there with, this is about a month ago now, and we're I'm just going through the video. I, he had clipped it for me, and I'm, I'm looking through it. And I just decided, let's look at the statement of faith, you know, because if you want to know what these people believe, I firmly attest that you read their writings. They're very deceptive in their videos. They say things in a way that doesn't seem as direct, but then you read what they say, and they're like, you know, very clearly works are important for salvation. And we made a whole second part just on a study of the statement of faith. It's not enough to believe on Christ. You have to show other men 
that your belief is true in order for God to validate it. The whole point of what I want to look at in this first section is how the nation of Israel on the Day of Atonement was told to do no work, none. Not merely because it was a high holy day, but because of what was going on in the temple. What the high priest was doing for the actual uh, for the cleansing of the tabernacle, for the cleansing of the sins of the nation, and for the cleansing of his own sin. While that was going on, Israel was to do no work. I want you to see that with me now. Look in verse 26 of Leviticus 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls. Now this doesn't mean they whipped themselves or caused injury to themselves, but this is humility in action and in their mind. They were to fast, they were to deny themselves of the comforts and pleasures that they would normally have, and, as it says, afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. We're going to look at that phrase in detail later. Verse 28, and you shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. Look up here. The word atonement means a covering, okay? And it doesn't mean a covering as in, uh, you know, the most generic way, like, you know, I have an atonement today on my feet. My feet are atoned by my shoes. That's not what this word necessarily means. It is ritualistic. It is religious in nature. It is a covering of one that needs covering before a righteous God. And Israel needed that every year. They needed that every year because their sins continually separated them from God. But there were specific instructions on this day and very specific consequences for those who broke those instructions. Why? Because God is setting up an illustration. Jesus, the master teacher, is going to be this sacrifice years afterwards. And God takes it so seriously that he says, anybody who does not obey what I have said here, they're cut off and they're destroyed. Now, some will make this a salvation claim and say, see, if you believe on Jesus Christ and then get back into sin, well, then you'll be sent outside the camp. You'll be destroyed. You weren't really saved. That's not the focus here. The focus here is that, look up here for a moment, please. God will do all the work. You cannot do any of it. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how humble you may be. Any form of humility that says to God, I can do it, is pride with a cloak of humility. It's called the humble brag. People think they can go to God and say, I wrote a book on humility and how to attain it. Hey, you want to buy it? Be like me. They don't see the arrogance, the hypocrisy in that statement. God will do the work. 29, verse 29. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted, humble and deny, in that same day he shall be cut off from among his people. 30. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work. Boy, you can see the the parent nature in God. He repeats it over and over and over, just in case you didn't get it. 
We know all about that, right, parents? Ye shall do no manner of work. How much work can we do? None. Are you, what about this? Is it work? Yes, don't do it. <laughs> it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. Ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even, and even unto even shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. So for, for one whole day, they were to deny themselves, to fast, to get properly correct with God, while that high priest went and did what was crucial for the nation. It was of, that day was the most important day, and it still is today. Now, they, the, the Jews today do not have a temple. They have things prepared, but they have replaced these very specific instructions that we'll see in Leviticus chapter 16 in a moment. They've replaced these instructions with a book of prayers and songs, and they give very generously to a lot of charity. That's what they have replaced it as. But it doesn't even come close to what God had said to do. It's a sad thing. You go and talk to a native Israeli, and you talk about Yom Kippur, and you talk about the lack of a temple, and it will cause them great grief that they cannot do these things. But did you know, if they had a temple today, and if they had all of the correct pieces today, and they had all the sufficient sacrifices today, and they went and did those things, it would find no pleasure in God's eyes. Why? If he took it so seriously here, why would he not take it so seriously now? Because the accepted sacrifice, Jesus Christ, has already been offered. And this is why it is so serious for people to come to an understanding that Christ died for your sins. This is why once saved, always saved is not a gospel, is, excuse me, is not some type of parlor trick that is done to make people feel better about their sin. Either Jesus died for all sins or he did not die for them at all. He would have been no better, perish the thought, I don't even like saying this, it would have been no better for him to just go in the next year. And in the Catholic doctrine, the doctrine of the Eucharist, they teach that Christ dies on the cross every time they come to Mass. He's crucified again. He's crucified again. As a matter of fact, that is one of the reasons why in their imagery, and I'll say it bluntly, idolatry, they keep Jesus on the cross. He, you go and look at a Catholic church and you will see in almost every depiction of the cross, he is hanging there. They believe in the Eucharist, taking in and crucifying him again and again and again. He died once for all, that all believe may live forever. You know what that means? He paid for all sin. Hello! Are we here? Folks, we have a great, great advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But not only that, he is our sufficient atonement. And that's why he advocates for us. There is no one who can bring claim against you that your sin is not paid. Not even the great adversary, Satan. You realize the victory you have today? Yeah, your car needs work. Yeah, our bank accounts are scary low. Yes, our health is not in the best place. Yes, our country is just a mess. But we have Jesus Christ. What do those things matter when we have him? And we look forward to the day that he comes back because we know he's coming to get those that he has fully redeemed. Amen?
I'm not waiting for the day when my sin is finally paid. It's already paid. I grieve for Christians that think they can gain more than what they already have in Jesus. I counsel and I I meet with people and, and constantly I'm asking them, What seems to be the problem? What seems to be the struggle? And and more often than not, they are not satisfied with what God has already clearly said. And that's a hard thing because I cannot make them satisfied. There's no eloquent way that I can preach. There's nothing fancy that I can say. It is up to these people to believe what God says and rest in that. And once, once they do that, then they will experience the peace that passes understanding. Then they will experience... Joy. We can choose it. We don't have to go find it. You don't wake up in the morning, where am I going to find my joy? Oh boy, I hope I find it today. You can choose it because you've got Jesus Christ. Amen. How about that for prosperity gospel? I saw a clip the other day about the preachers of LA. It was a long time ago. Maybe you guys saw this on TLC, which is comically called the Learning Channel. (laughs) Anyway, I'm learning more and more. There's a lot of problems in this world on the Learning Channel. But, you know, these preachers, they get up there and they've got all this nice stuff, you know, like real nice. I'm like, oh, the Bible says that God wants me to prosper in every good thing, so it's not a bad thing that I prosper in these things. Boy, they twist the word. I call them pretzel makers because they're really good at twisting the, the bread of life. These guys find a way in every single thing that they do to make themselves seem righteous, and you, you just don't have enough faith. Buy my book and you'll have enough faith. No, I'm going to read this book, amen? Amen. This one's good. I don't even have to buy it. I can get free copies and all sorts of stuff. But specifically, getting back to the note here, when we look at this humility and denial that is required by the people, we see very clearly that God is the one who will do the work. Well, where? Well, we only saw it in one spot. Look again with me, please. It's at the end of verse 28. For it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. So I want you to go and we're going to see what that whole process is. It'll be a lot of reading, but bear with me. And then we're going to look at how the atonement of Jesus was acceptable. But first, we're going to go to Leviticus chapter 10. You join me over there in Leviticus chapter 10. We have a very startling story. This is what they call a sobering story. Nadab and Abihu. You don't want to be these guys, okay? If you're looking for baby names, don't don't pick these, okay? Something happened to these two men. They're the sons of Aaron, primarily involved with the orchestration of worship. And something is done by them which God addresses in these three verses, then chapters 11 through 15, it's kind of a subset of some different instructions, and then chapter 16, we see what happens immediately after this. But look in verse 1, Leviticus chapter 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered, quote, you need to know, just pay attention to this here, strange fire before the Lord, and note this, which which he commanded them not. Boy, there's a lot of people today that will call their form of worship accepted by God. That's happening right now all over this country. 
People are calling false doctrine the truth. People are calling a false gospel the saving gospel. And God does not tolerate that. Unless those people come to repentance, meaning a change of mind and put their trust in Christ, they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment and give an account. And it will be a horrible day, a very, very terrible day for that individual. We've got these two guys here. I don't know if they did it sincerely, but it doesn't matter. It was strange to God. It was against what he had instructed. And verse 2 is very clear. And there went out fire, not a strange fire, fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Wow. That's how seriously God took this sacrifice. Whatever they had done, it was such an offense to God that there was no reconciliation to be made. They were destroyed. The focus here is not, were these guys saved or not? That's not the focus. You'll see the focus in verse 3. Then Moses said unto Aaron, who just, you, you, you recognize this here? Aaron just lost two of his kids. The shock that must be coursing through his mind right now. The severity of what had just happened, that God has consumed his children in this way. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me, and before all people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. He said nothing. What is being said here is, you are not sanctified by your own way. Any works, any pride, any pride disguised as humility, I will only accept a certain way. Now skip to 16, chapter 16. Verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Scripture commonly does this, especially in the Old Testament. There are things that are said, and then it's kind of like a pause, and Moses addresses other things. And then God instructs him to pick it up back on this other issue. So immediately after these two um, men were destroyed by the fire of the Lord, God talks to Moses about this day of atonement. It's a very good picture here that what those men had done caused an offense to God, and it needs to be cleansed. People so often say that we teach a license to sin. We do not. We should take sin seriously. It put Christ on the cross. It cost God's son his life. And John says in chapter 2 of verse 1 of his epistle, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Sin is serious. And if it's got a hold of you, you're missing out on a lot. And the chastening hand of God is loving, but it is also fierce. Get it together. This is how serious God took sin. He orchestrates and sets up this day. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. So this doesn't mean that Aaron can just go in at any time he wants, any time of their calendar year, and simply have fellowship with God. It was not to be that way, and if he did come at an improper time, in an improper way, with improper sacrifices, he's going to die just like his sons did. This is God's dwelling place with man. He takes it very seriously. 
For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Verse 3, Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat. He shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with the linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. The picture that we see here is that the condition that Aaron is outside of the temple must be changed so that he can be acceptable. What we see here is the comparison that there was no sin in Jesus Christ. Zero. There was no need for purification. There was no need for him to pay for his own sins. But the picture is, man, you are not in the acceptable condition. You need to get right. And if you come in incorrectly, you're done. That's how seriously God took this. Remember how serious it was for Moses to strike the rock after he had been instructed to speak to it. He missed out on the very place he was leading the children of Israel into. What a great testament, by the way, that the consequences were severe, but that man's still saved. Amen? That sin was paid for. Verse 5. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron, now verses 6 through 10 here, gives us a synopsis of what will be explained in great detail throughout the rest of the chapter. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. You should take a note of that. Aaron has to cleanse himself. But pastor, he has the right clothes. He's taken a bath. All these things. Without the shedding of blood... There is no remission. That's Hebrews 9.22. This is why the blood of Jesus is of the utmost importance. Which is for himself and make an atonement, a covering for himself and for his house. Seven. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So as he's coming up to the door of the temple, he presents these two goats. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats. One lot for the Lord, the one for the Lord will be slain. And the other lot for the scapegoat. This one will have the sins put on that goat, metaphorically speaking, and then it is sent away. There's a beautiful picture here of Jesus. A wonderful picture here of Jesus. Not only the goat that is uh, uh, offered to the Lord is accepted, the blood is accepted as a covering temporarily for Israel, but the rest of the sins as well, the same ones that were just covered by the blood, are sent away, and I will remember them no more. Those of you who carry guilt for the things that you've done in which Jesus has cleansed you, you've got a scapegoat. You've got somebody who has died in your place. You can have a clean conscience serving God, even though you're a sinner. How so? Your sin is removed as far as the east is from the west. God is a God of order. He is a God of structure. He uses illustrations because you and I, we need it simple. Amen? And all the husbands said, amen. <laughs> we need things simple and clear. How much clearer can you see here? Yet Israel is in the land today in unbelief. They know these things. They have memorized these passages. But they miss Jesus. Isn't it good to know that there's coming a day when God will restore his people? Mm. At great cost through that seven years. At great cost, but God is faithful. He is true. 
And Aaron shall cast lots. We already read that verse. Look at 9. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him so that this goat stays alive. He makes a covering and let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Oh, that's such a beautiful picture. 11. Now we get into detail. So about Aaron's offering for himself. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house. Shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. If you're a good Bible student, you'll notice this is repeated three times. For himself, for himself, for himself. There is no man who can come into the presence of God without an offering being made for his sins. Not a one. This is why it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. If Aaron had the crazy idea that he could walk into the Holy of Holies, breach that veil without a sacrifice for his sins, then his life would be over. Just as his sons experienced a quick and sudden death. Look at the end of verse, or the beginning of verse 12. And he shall take a censer full of burning coils of fire, excuse me, coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. This, many commentators believe, represents prayers. There are many images, especially in Revelation, the prayers of the saints ascending up as a sweet smelling savor to the Lord. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony, that he die not. So you can't even see the mercy seat and this, implica- this, this placing of blood. This is how holy this process was. God protected this. Because you know Moses, he messed up his illustration. This is not going to be messed up. You go and search throughout history of, of temple sacrifices, And in many cases, in almost every case, the high priest would go in with a rope around his ankle. Why? If the guy didn't come out, you can't go in there and say, excuse me. No, they got to pull him out. He's dead. Something wasn't right with that sacrifice. Verse 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. If there's any reason as to why this is done, it is told right here. Aaron has sin which needs to be cleansed. The people have sin which needs to be cleansed. And it's not cleansed by merely God... Pay attention to this, please. It is not cleansed by merely God turning a blind eye. That is what so many people teach today. Oh, the love of God, he just ignored our payment. No! He accepted the blood of His Son. God is not some unjust God. Imagine you are in a courtroom and a family member of yours has been slain 
And the man who did it is standing on trial. And the evidence convicts him. And the judge says, I will simply not execute the law here. He may go free. Is that mercy? That is injustice. These animals that lost their innocent lives are a picture of Jesus who shed His blood for the covering of our sin. 17. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place. Why? Because they're at home. They're denying themselves of basic things. They're not eating. and It's not, hey guys, day of atonement this weekend. Let's get the grill going. Let's get in the pool. Let's have a good time. Bring the kids, grandkids, all that. No. The nation is in quiet rest while this is being done. It's a beautiful picture that salvation is not by any works. They're not at home praying and praying and praying and praying and doing good works and say, oh, look, look how good I am. They're trusting in God, accepting that blood. You see the beautiful parallels here? And isn't it good that we're just not making this stuff up? I'm going to show you in Hebrews some great stuff here. This really good stuff. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, notice that word reconciling. That means reconcile means to remove something that is in the way. What was in the way between God and his people? Sin. What has been accepted to remove that? Blood. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So two sacrifices has happened. The one for Aaron, or the high priest. The one for the people, and the temple, and the whole nation. And then this one here. He shall bring the live goat. It's the end of 20. 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel. Hang on, those were already paid, right? There's a second element to this. And confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat into the wilderness. And the goat is not mentioned of again. This cleans. Now, as we, as New Testament believers, as we see these pictures of Christ being fulfilled, this is how Jesus is our advocate. There is not sin that is brought up again day after day after day as you sin. And anything that is brought up, it's answered by the blood of Christ. Does that not bring comfort to you? Are you not thankful to God in the completeness of our deliverance? Mm. And it should make us sensitive to sin again. Knowing the cost. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And he that let go the scapegoat, 
uh, for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes, bathe his flesh in water, and afterward come into the camp. See, all these people required cleansing again and again and again. But we have Jesus who has done it completely. Look at this, please, here in verse 30. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you. These are the instructions to the people. Actually, it starts in verse 29. And this shall be a statute forever unto you. People of Israel, pay attention, God says, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, we just saw this in 23, Leviticus 23, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute. You do this continuously, he says, forever. And the priest, whom he shall anoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make an atonement, and shall put on linen clothes, even the holy garments. He goes, meaning, even after these things are done by Aaron and he dies, the next lineage goes forward. This is how you get the lineage of the priests. They're the only ones who are able to do this. And 33, he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary and shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, for the altar, and shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. Now, catch this here. If you're going to catch any fly ball today, it's this one. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins. Look and pay attention to this. Once a year. The detail, the order and structure were sufficient for one year. Only one year. What does this teach us? This is not permanent. This here is not what is going to bring about a full cleansing of sin in each individual. Take your Bibles now and go to Hebrews chapter 9. We're doing good on time. Hebrews chapter 9. That might be the scariest thing you hear a preacher say. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 9. Boy, Hebrews is a great book. It's so good. You know, I'm going through my notes and I'm like, all right, you know, I'll I'll read cross-references, right? And they'll, they'll just use one verse. And I'll go, man, but the first 50 before that are really good. <laughs> and I sit here and think, man, it's like I want to look at one verse, but we got to look at four before it, before we can get a full understanding. That's why I like studying the Bible verse by verse. I enjoy topical study as well, but man, give me verse by verse. That's, that's where it's at. Hebrews chapter 9 in verse 7, please. This is on page 1298. There are now comparisons, okay? Starting in chapter 6 of Hebrews and going through chapter 10, we see how Christ is better than the high priest of which we just read their responsibilities. And I preached a message similar to this in February, but not focusing on some of these issues that we'll look at now. Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 9. But into the second went the high priest alone, the Holy of Holies. Look what it says. Once every year. So what, what sacrifice, what feast necessarily is being talked about? We know it's not Passover or something else. This is the Day of Atonement, once every year. Look what he says. Not without blood. He went in with blood. Those 
the ram, the goat that was for the Lord, and then the, the scapegoat, no blood was shed of that one, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Verse 8, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. This was a temporary thing, and the whole nation didn't come in there one by one. It was just one person. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was, and please pick this up, a figure, a picture, an illustration for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. Is that not true? He brought the sacrifices. He brought the incense. He had the proper clothes on. He had the ritualistic ceremonial cleansing of of the bath on his flesh in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. Please note this that could not make him that did the service perfect. There is no complete atonement in that. It is temporary, done year after year. This is why Israel mourns. Because they know the significance of the Day of Atonement. This is their holiest day today. Ended about a half hour ago. This is a serious thing for this nation. And they cannot do it because they don't have their temple. 10, verse 10. Oh, I'm sorry, we skipped one in verse 9. That could not make him that did the sacrifice perfect as pertaining to the conscience. So the high priest would go in, he'd offer, it'd be accepted, and then he would go out knowing he would sin again up here. Knowing that he would fail and looking forward to the next year to cleanse the people again. You and I don't have to worry about the payment of our sin over and over and over again because we've got Jesus who's paid for all of it. Now that doesn't mean we, we have an indifference towards sin, but our sin no longer separates us eternally from God. Even the sin that we've yet to commit. And you will commit sin. Surprise, surprise. You will. That is exactly why 1 John says what he says. These things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we will. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We'll look at that later. Verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers, you know, various washings. You saw those washings. And cardinal ordinances. That's an interesting way to describe these things that God had set up. Why are they called carnal ordinances now? Because Jesus has been accepted. There's no power in those things anymore. Imposed on them until the time of Reformation. And that's not talking about our, you know, Calvin and Luther and all of them. But the Reformation in that we have a new and living way. Verse 11, but Christ... Two great words there. Being come and high priest of good things to come. Mark these words. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle. What's the tabernacle? Did he have a secret building that he built? He was a carpenter, right? So he built this awesome building and we got to find it. No. A more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, That is to say, not of this building. What does it mean by not of this building? Not in the way that you and I build things. There are beautiful structures that people build as religious icons. The Dome of the Rock, very ornate, very detailed. You're not talking about that kind of building. Not some glorious temple like Solomon's temple. The men wept 
when they saw the condition in which it was. Not like that. Look at 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. This is exciting. He entered into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. He went in with His body on the cross. His shed blood was accepted by God to obtain reconciliation eternally for the sins of man. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying to the purifying of the flesh, so all the things that they did in that time, especially on the Day of Atonement, if, it was, if that was sufficient to temporarily cover them, 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, how much more should that sacrifice purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's talking to people who have already believed these are Jews who became Christians, but they're going back to the law because there's no persecution there. And the writer is saying, you have the risen Savior. You have the applied blood. Is that not enough to purge your conscience from these dead rituals and traditions? They don't save. Jesus saves. This is a beautiful picture that we see in Scripture. Now I want you to look in verses 24 through 26. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. He didn't get on that cross, shed His blood, and then get down and walk into the temple. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. He went in to heaven for us. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. There is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. This is why any religion that teaches unification with God outside of the name Jesus Christ is a heresy. It is an offense to God to teach any other way of reconciliation. I know I'm speaking loud and we're getting involved here, but I want you to see the simplicity of the Scripture. You don't have to have a degree to understand these things. This is basic reading of the text. There are two words there that are so important. It's the last two words of that verse. For us. Us has to be qualified. Who are us? In the text, it's those who have already believed on Jesus Christ. The temptation for these poor believers as they suffer persecution is to go back to the rituals, back to the traditions where it's safe. But those things are an offense to God. Because when you do those things thinking it makes you right with God, you disgrace His Son. And you say, He's not enough. There's no man that you need to confess your sins to here. There's no church membership that you have to go before before you become accepted by God. That story about the publican who smote his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, that man goes to his house justified because he's trusting in me. And here's the priest with all the accoutrement, all the clothes. Yeah. Oh, merciful. Thank you, Lord. I'm not like these sinners. Oh, Don't worry, brother, you're worse. (laughs) People go about and and, and they think that they can establish their own righteousness. That's one of the greatest things about Romans chapter 10. They go about seeking their own righteousness. Don't be that person. Especially if you've already experienced salvation, you've already trusted in Jesus Christ. 
Do not bring an offense to God by thinking your dead works make you any better as far as your justification. When you believe, you receive, and it's done. And it was done years ago on that cross. You think about that song we just sang about surveying the wondrous cross. What makes it wonderful? Not the wood, not the structure, the one who hung on it and rose again three days later, amen? No, Jesus on that cross, he's ascended into heaven. And guess what? He's coming back. Get ready. Now the trumpet already blew at 11, okay? So we know we've got another year left. <laughs> I'm just kidding. just kidding. It could happen at any moment. It could happen at any moment, right? <laughs> Look, continue in verse 25 nor yet that he should offer himself often. He doesn't go continually every year and die on that cross. As the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. So again, we're still talking about the Day of Atonement. He's comparing the Day of Atonement to the sufficiency of Christ. For when, for, excuse me, for then, must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once, in the end of the world, hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's not a man who attained godhood, as the Mormons would have you believe. He's not a good person, a prophet, accepted by God as a way how we can be unified to him, as the Muslim teaches. He is God in the flesh, who by his own shed blood has put away sin forever. Sign me up. How do I taste of that holy gift you believe and you receive? Amen? Look in 1 John chapter 2, in verses 1 through 2. There's a, there's a good word here, and we'll see it in a moment. We, I just got done teaching this on Friday. We have a statement here. John is, there are, there are two themes that he's addressing. It starts in verse 5, goes through to verse 2 of chapter 2. He says this in verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. That is the greatest one-two left hook to everybody who tells you, once saved, always saved is a license to sin. No, it's not. The most beloved apostle of Jesus Christ is telling you, do not sin. But you know what? People will look at that and they'll, like I said, pretzel-making theologians, they'll twist it into something else. That's not my focus here. My focus is in the second part. And if any man sin, we have... Parakletos is the Greek word. Nailed it, Bob. Give me credit for that. <laughs> it means those who, the one who comes beside. Do you know this is the same word? Pay attention for a moment, please. Well, pay attention the whole time. <laughs> Do you know that that word is the same word that is used in John to describe the Holy Spirit? The exact same word the one who comes alongside. Once you, you are instructed not to sin as a believer, not to be saved, but because of the severity of sin and how it distorts the fellowship. But when you do sin, you have somebody who comes alongside you. Let, what's his name? We have an advocate with the Father. Note that it's not God. Although it is God, the title is your Father. Note that the beginning of this says, little children... You sin not, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He, Jesus, is the atonement. That's what that word propitiation means. 
We make it to say substitutionary, satisfactory uh, sacrifice. But the only reason why we can say that is because the word means to atone, to make an appeasing for. He is the propitiation, red alert here, for our sins, those who have already believed, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There are people who will die and go to hell with all their sins paid. How so? They have not believed on Jesus. This is a terrible truth for those who die without Christ. You have a payment readily available. It's accepted. But you won't believe. This is why Jesus issues a worse judgment on Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Worse than Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment will it be for those people. Why? They had Jesus there. They saw. They heard. And what? They did not believe. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's a God of love. He died for those who despise Him, who reject Him, who twist His blessings and gifts, who worship the creation more than the Creator. And He still has a payment waiting for them. Boy, if that doesn't teach you and I how to love, I don't know what else to tell you, brother. I don't know how to fix that, sister. you got to fix it. This is love. Yes, there are people that hate God and they hate you. And we know in the tribulation period, people are going to die for their faith in Christ. So be it. So be it. And sometimes we get a little diluted, you know. We think, oh man, I can't believe, you know, that that person. I can't can't believe God would save someone so horrible like that. Careful. Careful. Your sin is pretty bad too. It all separates us from God. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. It's on page 1300. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Having therefore... I'll I'll wait till everybody gets there. I want you to see this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This is a great statement which shows the reason why you and I can have any kind of confidence or boldness is not because of how good we are, but because of the Savior. This is how we can attain humility. This is how we can be selfless people. When you recognize that you have Jesus Christ, you die. You die to self. And any life that you live now, it's for Him. That's the only reason why we have what we have. This is, this is important. 20, look at 20. By a new and living way. That's the new and living way. What? what? Him. Jesus. Which He hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Because of these things, which... I believe the audience has already believed in this address here. Because of these things, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts 
sprinkled from an evil conscience. Ooh, 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 hang on. You, you picked that up there? That word sprinkling? There were five verses in, in Leviticus 11, or Leviticus 16, 11 through 17, that talk about that, that very same thing. That sprinkling. Sprinkle it seven times. There's a picture here. Let us draw near. We can get closer to God in fellowship with a true heart, purged from the conscience of sin because of Jesus, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You can come to God today as a believer, even if you've got all this sin in your life, which we do, you can come to Him accepted. We've got that new nature. And one day, folks, we will have a new body. Brand new. So new that we won't, I don't even think we can understand it now. You know when you get a new phone and you like take that screen thing off and it's like, wow, brand new screen, never before touched. The heavenly body that we get is going to be so much better. Way better. Why do we have a promise of that? Because he rose again. He rose again. And God has accepted his payment. Join with me here a little bit further. 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Some people like to just cut out the unto love and to good works. We just like to provoke one another. But that's not what it says. Do you realize how important is this fellow? Do you realize how important this fellowship is today? You, do you get that? The world is terrible and it's wicked and it beats us down. We come in here together fully redeemed. And instead of looking to ourselves and our problems, we know we have Jesus so we can look to our brother and sister and come alongside. This is how we can love one another unconditionally. Well, she said X, Y, and Z, so, mm. or he did this, so, mm. you got a problem there. That's a you problem. And God even tells us how we handle these things. But the structure is, because Jesus has entered in, because we have been purged from these things that we've done, you can come together and we can have sweet fellowship that there's nothing in this world can, which provide. Nothing. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love. Oh, here's the big one. And to good works. We're supposed to look at one another and say, hey, let's get busy working for the Lord. Not just here. 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. See, some people are starting to peel off. They think this is not important. It is very important. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And that's what's our focus. We're looking at the Day of Atonement. It's a Jubilee year. The trumpets are going to be blowing. All this very exciting stuff. But until the Lord comes back, we are supposed to encourage one another. You see how the blood of Jesus covers all the bases? The whole thing. It's sufficient. We don't have to be white-knuckled and just in constant fear. We have a risen Savior. Now, last verses here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. And Bob's been doing an excellent job going through 2 Corinthians. I would encourage you to take a listen to that on, on YouTube when you get a chance. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting there in verse 19. Before we go to that, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 5, we see that this word imputed is all throughout the 
fourth chapter in Romans. It's translated in different ways. It's translated reckoned or counted, uh, impute, imputeth, imputed. What the idea that is said there is it is put to one's account. And we see from Romans 4, 5 that the person that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted. That's the Greek word that is also translated imputed. That faith in Jesus is counted for righteousness. So we know by believing this, what will be discussed here in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5, is how we experience the ministry of reconciliation. The Day of Atonement was a temporary reconciling between God's people and himself. It removed that sin temporarily. But we see here the permanence of what Jesus has done. Look in verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing, he is not putting their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, those who believe, the word of reconciliation. When you share the gospel, and you should, when you pray for people that are lost, and you should, it should culminate in somebody sharing the word of reconciliation. What is the word of reconciliation? Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is the whole thing. You want a life verse? You want purpose? You want value? Be a minister of reconciliation. Be the one who knows the word of reconciliation. Share the gospel with people. We're not looking for a feast day. We're not looking for the temple to come back so that there can be better acceptance between God and man. We've got Jesus. He's risen again. That's why we look forward to his return. Don't be tricked and deceived and blinded by these things that are so much less than Christ. Be satisfied with him and him alone. You know, the Bible says once the rapture happens, so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's like that little kid falling around dad all the time, you know? Isn't that a good thing? Doesn't that bring you hope today in a world that has nothing exciting? I've often thought when, you know, the news comes on and they have like the music, it's never happy music for breaking news. It's always like, dun, 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 dun. You're like, whoa, what? <laughs> today, 4,000 things happen that are terrible and we're going to sell you gold for your IRA. That's how you can fix it, you know? <laughs> Boy, I mean, isn't it nice to know that the music that we'll hear at the rapture is the sound of a trumpet? Come on, let's go! We're going. Don't allow your joy to be robbed. We have everything that we need. And start telling people that. Let your, let your light shine so that people will glorify the Father as it says in Matthew 5. I'm telling you. I'm passionate about this stuff because I see what false gospels are doing to Christians. They're miserable because they're still sinners and they're trying to do something they can't do. You see a person who's fully redeemed, understands the payment for their sin, it's easier for them to serve God with a full heart, with joy, with a clear conscience. That's the only way you can get someone to serve. 
Now, you better do this or you're going to go to hell. Yeah, that's a thanks. Can't wait to go around with a smile. You can't do that. But I wanted you to see the parallels here with the Day of Atonement because it's a big thing that's going on. Close your Bibles if you, if you would. And you read news articles about these Abraham Accords and you see Netanyahu giving some very, very interesting speeches. A lot of language that's biblical. And you see Saudi Arabia's got their thing going on and, and, and Jordan's getting a little flustered and all these things are happening. And I'm just sitting over here going, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Can't wait. Can't wait. But the only reason why I have that hope and I don't look with fear and, 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 and peril and deathly concern is because I have a risen Savior. It gives me hope in every area of my life. Every single area. Because it is my life. It's the only reason why I've got what I've got. His grace and His mercy is unending. And it was manifested in His Son, Jesus Christ. This hand is going to represent you and me and my Wallet is going to represent sin, and we all have sin. God loves us very much, but this sin is an offense to Him, and it causes separation. Heaven is a perfect place where none of this is. Isn't it good to know there's a place where this doesn't exist? But we are sinners by nature. We are condemned, and the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. But God loves us, and He's provided a way for this sin to be paid. However, man in all of his foolishness, in all of his pride and arrogance, even in the most godly affronts, thinks they can earn it on their own. Oh, I can start this and stop this. I can give, I can do, I can pray, I can beg and plead with my good works as an offering, but that will never pay for sin. You saw how significant blood is on the Day of Atonement. If Aaron didn't come in with the right amount, with the right animals, and sprinkled at the correct time, at any time, if he disobeyed those things about blood, death. His sons offered strange fire, and so many people are offering their own fire too. Oh, I'll go to church. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll be a real good person. I'll take all my money and give it to charity, and that'll earn my righteousness before God. Strange fire, folks. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We do not earn eternal life by anything that we can do. It's a picture of why the people rested and denied themselves of any kind of work on that day. Because God was going to do all the work for them. So this hand represents Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And God did the work for us in that Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Gospel message is given to us right there, but we see the significance of Jesus as that sacrifice. He offered His body and His blood to pay for this sin. He was buried and He rose again, the resurrection being just as important as His body and blood so that we, those who believe on Him, can have everlasting life. This is why John says that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not a matter of if you need to know that you've already got it. If you've believed on Jesus, you have it regardless of your condition. Your condition may be poor, and trust me, it will be. But your position, your position between God 
and you is redeemed because of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you think my good works are going to be enough, I've got to have a changed life. I've got to have these things as proof. I ask you this. Are your good works better than the shed blood and the body of Jesus Christ? Is there anything in the Bible that would make it to say your works redeem you? No, they don't. The only thing that God accepts is faith in His Son. So right where you are, you can do this right now. You can simply talk to God and believe on His Son. It's that simple. We're not, I'm not going to have Dana come up here and pr- play 83 verses of just as I am. I was raised in a Baptist church where that was common. And people were told, if you want to get saved, come down to the altar. If you want to get saved, sit right where you are and believe. The, the invitation would go on and on. It'd be like, if you need healing today, come down. You know, two people come down. It would get so crazy where it was like, it was like saying, if you have a brain, come on down. Be like, well... You know, I know my wife says different, but I better get on down here, you know? <laughs> Salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Would you go to the Lord in prayer with me, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If today the gospel message made sense to you, would you put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? The moment that you do, the Bible says you are eternally saved. You are purged. You are redeemed. You are justified. Not because of any good works, but because of the, of the accepted sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And He rose again, folks, and He is coming back. And you can have great hope and confidence that you are His. I'd like to pray for you if you did trust Christ this morning. Would you just raise your hand and let me know, and I will be more than happy to pray for you. Those who are watching on the internet, write to us. I'd like to send you some material and help and encourage you. Heads are bowed and eyes are still closed. There is no doubt that we are living in an exciting time. I am not denying that. But the times are not exciting because of what's happening. The times should be exciting because we have Jesus Christ. Please don't look for something else to give you joy. Please don't look for a better leader, a better politic, a better government to give you joy. Look at the sufficiency in what you already have in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. We will sing his praises forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.